Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And I'm Katrina Stanton. Katrina! Oh my God. Welcome back! Throwback. It has been ages since you've been on. Um, God, I don't even know how long. Your, your kid is like three now, right? Three and a half. Three and a half. So it's been at least four and a half years since you've been on, right? Sounds about right. I didn't know this podcast had been going that long. Did we just How realize old are we're old? We? Yeah. Oh, it old. was um, 2016 when I left the podcast. Okay. So disapp- six years now. That's a disappointingly long time just because <laughs> age has befallen us, yes. apparently. Well, welcome back. You left for, well, to pursue a variety of other things in your life, at least one of which was having a kid. Yeah, and she's fantastic. Awesome. I couldn't be happier with her. That's great. I... I love the story behind her name, but I don't think you'd necessarily want her name aired, so we're not going to go into that. Yeah. We can make up a fake one okay. and give it a great backstory. Uh, sure. <laughs> what, who, what was the name of... Um, Chalupa was... Batman, because she lost a bet. Perfect. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was going to go with the sergeant from um, um, Fix It... Not Fix It. Wreck-It Ralph, but... Oh, Calhoun. <laughs> Calhoun, that's right, who had the most tragic backstory in all of the gaming-verse. <laughs> that was fantastic. All right, so what's her name? Batman or Calhoun? Let's go to Calhoun because Chalupa Batman is too many syllables. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Also, what is a Chalupa Batman? It was on a TV show. Okay. They, I think they each person got to pick a name and they had to amalgamate both of them. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we're talking about your kid a lot because it is directly relevant to today's topic. Uh, the Roe v. Wade thing happened about two months ago, and we've, we've talked about that at least twice now. On the podcast, one episode was dedicated to it. But one of the interesting, I thought, uh, objections to people who are both, n- from people who are both non-religious and uh, kind of wary about abortion rights was that, well, you know, you're taking away a potential future of a human, which once the egg and sperm join, if you just let it go, there'd be a human there. And I was like... I feel like this person does not understand that it's just not like egg and sperm join and nine months later it's like, oh, hey, baby. It's, uh, it requires a huge amount of biological resources and uh, investment from the mother's body. And it has to be in sold. <laughs> and it has to be in sold. Yeah, you got to petition God, uh, which, which is a whole long process in itself. So I wanted to go over a lot of the things that happen during pregnancy and childbirth. Because it's a whole ordeal. It's, it's almost, in my words, body horror. So it's not just a, you know, hey, if you just leave it alone, suddenly there's a person in nine months. It's, this is a whole thing. And uh, you are the one of us, who of the former co-hosts slash hosts of the podcast who has been pregnant. So you uh, were so nice as to say, yes, you would come help us do this. Yes, I also had a notably terrible experience. Oh, more terrible than usual? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I perhaps more terrible than usual, but it was a healthy pregnancy and healthy childbirth. The closest thing I have to experience of this is having three uh, nieces, well, two nieces and one now one nephew as of like Yay. 36 hours, 48 hours ago. Congratulations. Nice. So as far as I know, that went, that went smoothly. My vague understanding is that the more you have like labor tends to be less intense um, and less uh, and shorter. Huh. Is I feel like just, it's so traumatic true. that you forget it. <laughs> There's definitely that too. I think that's part of it. But like, I think that it, it does take less time because I know that the first one she was in labor, it felt like all day, and this one, I think it was like 5 p.m. and then like at 8:30 there was like a text with like a baby in it. Well, hmm. pushing so. pushing is shorter gotcha. um, on subsequent pregnancies, and also tearing. There's less tearing. 
which is really nice. Um, most people tear in one or two or more directions um, with their first child. So Seems like the kind of thing that should have been evolved out, but I guess it wasn't lethal enough. We need so. our big heads. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> so for subsequent kids, the, the, the passageway is pre-torn, is what you're saying, making it easier. I guess it's a little bit bigger, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man, that yeah. sounds terrible. We'll, we'll get all into all the terribleness in a second. Um, but first, I guess, actually, before we jump into that, how the heck have you been? None of our listeners know. Uh, we know because we keep in touch. But, uh, yeah, how's life? Um, it's pretty great. I went through a few difficult years, um, which had to do with pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum depression. Mm. But now I'm feeling really good and I'm happy with my little girl. That's awesome. Yeah. And your postpartum depression also happened to coincide with the plague years, which is pretty awful. Even worse. Yeah, it was, it was easing up though. Yeah, but that's enough to make anybody depressed. So plague. first postpartum depression, then plague. So yeah, bad times all around. But better now. And yes. you moved. Are you happier in your new place? Um, yeah, it's great. It's got a pool and a um, playground right within walking distance. Cool. Lots of kids in the neighborhood. Do you miss being on this podcast with us? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and I am terribly out of practice, so I apologize. I was really expecting I know You guys are fuckers. <laughs> How did you manage to get me back here? Sometimes it could just mean once. But it, uh, maybe it was genuine. I don't know. Maybe this was nerdy. I like talking with you guys. I like talking yeah. with you, too. Yeah. Okay, good. I was, thinking, I was expecting a sarcastic response, and an earnest yes threw me off, so I don't know what, how to reply to that. <laughs> we, we've kind of cultivated an air of being sarcastic at each other here, so. Yeah. I did have some problems with the podcast, but nothing that I think that a little talking things through wouldn't have fixed. Yeah. Well, we love having you back. We get emails once in a while from new listeners are working through the backlog. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, it was like a year where it was just you and me, mm -hmm. which I feel like was probably the most boring year of the show. <laughs> right. Um, and so people message me like, hey, did, why did Katrina leave? Is she coming back? I'm like, well, you know, life stuff and no, but stick it through or just jump to like a few episodes ahead. We actually get a third co-host and actually balance the show out again. But yeah, you're, you're, you're brought up a not insignificant number of emails from listeners. So. Yeah. A lot yeah, of people yeah. still ask about you. That's so sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and go into it. I guess I was first alerted to this particular thing that happens. Okay. So I did not know uh, until you started telling me what pregnancy is like, what pregnancy is like, because I was brought up in the American school system where they just tell you don't have sex because it'll ruin your life forever. And uh, my parents are what I think is the typical American parent where they're like, I'm really squeamish talking to my kids about sex stuff. So... They don't get to know any of this. So uh, I, I was also of the opinion that like, yeah, you know, someone gets pregnant, they're uncomfortable for a while, and then there's a kid. And I had no idea that like the vast amount of changes that the body goes through and that specifically the uh, fetus sort of attacks the mother at the time, which was crazy. Uh, I, I Not long after I was talking with you, I wasn't looking for this article. It was just one of those awesome coincidences that the world likes to throw at you where whenever you're focusing on something, suddenly more stuff comes in on that particular thing, which again leads to my, uh, what is the term? Paranoia? It's not really Megal paranoia. Megalomania. Megalomania. <laughs> Egocentrism. <laughs> I, I can, yeah, that sounds Spotlight accurate. Spotlight bias. Yeah. Uh, but an article that basically pointed out that the investment, biological investment in having a fetus is really very big. And so the mother's body likes to do things like make sure you're a nice, healthy fetus. And the fetus is like, hey, fuck you. Don't try to kill me. 
and uh, clamps on and fights back, and that there's this whole war within the uterus. Uh, the relationship's really antagonistic. It was shocking. I, I did not realize that uh, that is how it was. I couldn't find that specific article, but I found another similar one, which we will be linking in the show notes, called Why Pregnancy is a Biological War Between Mother and Baby. And I figured we would touch on that and also get your experiences, because I know you told me more than just what's in here. Yeah, an interesting quote from another article was that the uterus is one of the worst places for the baby um, to grow, for the fetus to grow, and it grows better in almost any other part of the body. Extremely hostile. Yeah. That might need some expansion for me. I guess that's because the uterus is equipped to handle, let's say, like the parasitic invasion and thus like contain it so like the, the, the growth isn't, is unfettered elsewhere, right? Okay. Because when you said elsewhere in the, when you said most hostile, it wasn't until you said elsewhere in the body that I'm like, now hold up a minute. It can't be the worst place for like just random places on earth, <laughs> but random, <laughs> random places in the body. Okay. Yeah. Still, of, of course, in an ectopic pregnancy, the, the baby will not survive. Yeah. Because it kills the mother. Well, yes, that too. <laughs> Among other reasons. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'll go ahead and just quote from a few things here. The, the, the uterus is designed to be um, challenging towards, towards the fetus to uh, make sure that it's healthy. Uh, and the fetus, in part, uh, it says, cells from the invading placenta digest their way through the endometrial surface, puncturing the mother's arteries, swarming inside, and remodeling them to suit the fetus. Outside of pregnancy, these arteries are, arteries are tiny, twisty things spiraling through the d- depths of the uterine wall. The invading placental cells paralyze the vessels so they cannot contract, then pump them full of growth hormones, widening them tenfold to capture more maternal blood. These fetal cells are so invasive that colonies of them often persist in the mother for the rest of her life, having migrated to her liver, brain, and other organs. Yeah, that's um, a great way that you can get genetic testing. Um, not, not quite genetic testing, but testing for fetal cells is just taking the mother's blood. And you can find out if your baby is a um, male or female and if they have down syndrome or other um other major genetic disorders with additional chromosomes that's another thing i learned just today i always thought that they like took it from the placenta or the fetus or something just from the mother's blood they can from the mother's blood if you want full genetic testing and you want to confirm what you found out in the blood test then you can go for something like amniocentesis okay where they take the amniotic fluid from inside the uterus and they determine what's the the fetal blood fetal fetal cell fragments or gene fragments or whatever in the blood by comparing that to like a tissue sample or something. So, or... so if you have a if you're XX and you have a baby who's XY, oh yeah, that, that makes it easy. They're <laughs> gonna find that the Y's in the blood. If there are any in there, then that's an indication that the baby is male. If um, if they don't, that's an indication the baby is female. If they find a greater proportion of, say, chromosome 13, that's an indication that there's a, um, a trisomy. Is 13. that the Down syndrome? Yes. Okay. That's awesome. That makes sense. That's really cool. I mean... And it's relatively new that people have been able to do that just by drawing blood. You used to be able to decide between a couple different very invasive and... Um, a little bit risky procedures to do. Well, I mean, if you're just can't they? I, I guess maybe it's later on in development. 
I suppose they could check really early uh, the the whatever could check X, really X or early, XY. But it looks like a chicken or um, a lizard. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so if you're ultrasounding, is you said what I'm trying to say here? Um, the blood testing would probably tell you more earlier than ultrasounding would, right? That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it can tell you within like 12 weeks, um, whereas you have to wait a little bit longer um, for, on the ultrasound to figure out what if the baby has a penis or not, basically. So I don't, I'm assuming I'm not too weird as a human uh, in the fact that I am extremely grossed out by weird body invasion stuff. I I hate body horror things and I often won't watch them when they're on a TV or in movies. Um, but like parasites, worms in, in your body, anything like that, just, oh, oh, oh my God. Uh, and, and this sort of like reminds me of that, that there's another organism's cells in your body, growing in your organs, which I guess isn't that weird, but the, the, it contributed to my, oh my God, this is fucked up. That Don't tell any ash about gut flora. That's right. I, I'm familiar with gut flora. <laughs> I, I've come to accept <laughs> gut flora. But well, microscopic things don't feel quite as bad. It's, it's interesting because I love parasites. Yeah. And um, I took several parasitology courses. I'm a biologist. Mm -hmm. I was going to say you're particularly fond of one parasite. I am. <laughs> She's about three and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I even considered um, becoming a host for parasitic protozoan to just see what it's like. Um, huh. Yeah. What is it like? Well, what is it? <laughs> um, my, my daughter, Batman, is not a parasitic protozoan. <laughs> right. But, but, but I thought that I would be okay sharing my body with another organism. And it turned out I wasn't. <laughs> I just wasn't okay with it. I wanted to feel like I owned my own body and was mostly in control of it. And that kind of just went out the window in several different ways. One was biological mm -hmm. um, with, with my daughter, you know, fighting with my body and taking it over and um, turning it to her will. And yeah. then the other was... Medically, I, it felt like I no longer had control over my body because suddenly there were these doctors telling me what to do uh -huh. and I didn't have other options. Do you remember the Monty Python scheme where there's like a bunch of idiot doctors and a woman giving birth and at one point she tries to say something and the doctor's like, be quiet, you're not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was like that all the time. Um, and it turned out that my doctors were wrong about some things. Mm. <gasps> Do you remember which things in specific? Uh, well, one thing was before I even started to try to get pregnant, I um, went to a psychiatrist because I knew that I was on a schedule, or not a schedule, but a category D drug. Now, the way that these categories go, they, they all relate to pregnancy, oh. the safety of different drugs during pregnancy, and it goes A through D plus X. Okay. And Which one is the bad the bad is D and X. Okay. So you do not, those are counterindicated for pregnancy. You do not want to be taking them. And I had been on, um, I had been on a category D medication since I was 17 years old hmm. and, um, had been unsuccessful trying to get off of it previously because it's very addictive. So I went to a psychiatrist and I said, I am interested in getting pregnant under your care, I'd like to transition off of this drug onto drugs that are compatible with pregnancy. Yeah. 
And my psychiatrist was like, yes, I'm a professional. I can do that. Here are some things that you can take. And the whole process took maybe a year or so mm-hmm. of getting off that medication and onto these other ones. I got pregnant. And then after seeing an actual um, gynecologist obstetrician found out that my psychiatrist had put me on another <laughs> um, category D drug that I then had to try to wean off of during my pregnancy when my hormones were already super wacky. And um, it was it made the whole thing much less pleasant. So I recommend actually looking up the medications that you're on, um, looking up the category of those medications, even if a professional tells you that they're fine. One That's thing. super frustrating because I think you're, you might be making a similar point, which is that the annoying part about like doctors being a barrier to access drugs is that I have to get a permission slip from like a doctor to say that, yes, you're allowed to take modafinil or something, right? Mm-hmm. But the only perk of that is that when the doctor says, yes, you can take this, I assume that, they've, that they know what they're doing, that they've confirmed that, yeah, you're good to take this. Uh, if they're not even doing that part, then why are they, what are they qualified to hand me permission slip for? One thing I've learned over my past couple decades of adulthood is that uh, I was taught that doctors know what they're doing and I was taught a lie. <laughs> doctors have more of a clue than the average layman, but you really have to always do your own homework. And I know that sucks because a lot of people don't have the freaking time or some people even the ability to like look these things up and understand them and Google them. But a lot of them just have outdated information or, or don't, if you are entrusting yourself entirely to a doctor, uh, you're rolling dice. Yeah. I fired my psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, I have a new one now. Yay. And I'm on, not that I want to get pregnant again. Cause I definitely don't and have taken, um, I have <laughs> taken permanent measures, <laughs> taken permanent measures. Hell yeah. So sterility that- club. That's right. Uh, so I don't get pregnant again, but I am on medications that would be compatible with that and um, uh, doing great. So, cool. yeah, so happy ending to that story. Yeah. Minus the fact that this psychiatrist didn't get in enough trouble to satisfy my need for vengeance there. But yeah. Oh, he doubled uh, down. Well, I told I'd him, hey, to that's, a category, a that's a category <laughs> D, and I now need to get off of this last moment. And um, he's like, no, it's perfectly fine. I've seen plenty of patients who've gone through healthy pregnancies. I'm like, oh, mm. anecdotal evidence. I, it sucks <sighs> that you have to take heroic responsibility just for your own medical decisions. But this is the world. Well, the downside, too, is that there's so much nonsense information out there that, you know, could, you could have all the time and inclination that you want, but... If you yeah, if you Google is the COVID vaccine if you if you Google is the COVID vaccine safe, you're gonna find oh. a bunch of nonsense, right? So yeah, most like, medicine is not that political. But I know, but you're but, right. Yeah, yeah, it just you know, well, you'll find something like oh, you can't take anything on FacebookGroup.com, right? So but so many studies are simply bad and mm-hmm. poorly done, and there's the replication crisis. It turns out that a lot of the recommendations that gynecologists and even the CDC make are ill-founded. And what I recommend, um, I recommend a book called Expecting Better by Emily Oster, who's a brown economist, I can talk. And um, she's fantastic. She's updated this book in for 2021 Mm. with new information. And there's a lot of analysis of different um, layperson accessible analysis of different studies for all sorts of different recommendations um, throughout pregnancy 
and childbirth. And for example, you can probably drink more coffee than your doctor says you can. And oh. you can probably drink more alcohol than your doctor says you can. Yeah. Wasn't it something like a glass every day or two is okay? A glass of wine? Um, in the second and third trimesters. In the first trimester, about two glasses a week is probably fine. Okay, cool. I, I haven't read the book myself, but I've also heard great things about it and about her follow-up. And apparently now there's a third one. That's right. It's called The Family Firm. Cool. I'm just disappointed that you can even be at the level where you're looking at scientific studies themselves, but you're not equipped to know, like, was this done well or what did this replicate? So, like, most people, if they're going to go research, they're never going to come across, like, an actual original study. But even if they do, you're gonna f they could find some nonsense. Uh, I was yeah. about to say, like, oh, you can look at the power. And I was like, ah, but yeah, your layperson's not going to, you know, look at the sample size and be like, that seems insufficient. Yeah, the normal person's not going to do the power calculation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Can I just, Stephen mentioned modafinil, and I was just like, what, does modafinil affect pregnancy? And I just Googled it, and the little snippet that Google gave me is baffling. Mm -hmm. Women who are pregnant or plan to become pregnant should not use modafinil, because hormonal birth control methods, such as birth control pills, may not work as well when used at the same time as modafinil. <laughs> Women using these types of birth control may have a higher chance of getting pregnant while taking modafinil. So then, you want to take it, is that right? This if is coming from an article pregnant? called New in parentheses, but still not enough data on modafinil in pregnancy. I so. mean, you should first stop taking the birth control. <laughs> but if you're not going to stop taking it, start modafinil. That might help. I don't, well, I guess, I don't know. I'm still kind of baffled that people use like the birth control pill when there's uh, IUDs that you could just stick in there for 10 years. Those can be very painful to put in from what i've heard yeah i've, I've, I've heard bad. i've There's heard negative a, feedback i i've had i have negative feedback i yeah. went through just about every kind of birth control um that you can have yeah and hated all of them and ended up going with a uh, tubal ligation yeah what Charlie about also has extremely negative feedback about iud yeah. i have extremely positive feedback yay That's good. i think most people do yeah it stopped my period completely and oh i had probably endometriosis like you're not apparently it's not supposed to like be like an 11 out of 10 pain scale uh but that was just my experience my whole life mm. i actually like would pass out oh my god and, and like, just stopped it yep com completely stopped <laughs> that's cool. wonderful i had um a period every day for months Holy shit. On yeah. the IUD? Or? On the IUD. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. It can cause bleeding, too, which is... Yeah, it caused it caused a great deal of bleeding and um, worse worse period pains for me. Hmm. Yeah. So every everyone's different. And yeah. that's the thing about pregnancy, too, is that everyone experiences it differently. Mm -hmm. But there are, you know, there are ranges and rates yeah. for all of these different symptoms. Something that's extremely common... Um, especially in the first trimester, is is extreme nausea. Yes, which is supposedly, guessingly, supposed to be a way to prevent women from accidentally poisoning the the fetus. Mm. Is that at I don't, all? I, I think it's probably just that. the hormones. Okay. Yeah. I think it's just the hormone wash. Uh, my sister got incredibly bad morning sickness, so I probably have that to look forward to. I think my mom did too. Mm. I actually uh, recommended on Dancitron and. Her doctor was scared of it, and she had to get another doctor who said, no, please take this. Like, she was dehydrated, and Chase, it was do fine. you want to get pregnant? Yes. That's oh. awesome. At some point. 
Oh, talk to me about it. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to. Um, see if you still want to in an hour. <laughs> uh, no, I, I know how bad it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, uh, I don't think any of this should necessarily make people want to not have kids because people just want kids anyway. But, you know, I think for people who do not get pregnant to help them understand what it's like. Because, again, I had no fucking clue. Yeah, well, what I found out about nausea, hmm. um, and this is on average, the... Average, this is actually quoting from Emily Oster's book. The average pregnant woman starts to feel bad at around six weeks, and they start to feel better at around 13 or 14 weeks, which is a couple weeks into the second trimester. During this time, they may or may not throw up at all. If they do, it'll typically be concentrated in just a few days, although those days must be, might be quite bad. Um, that was not my sister's experience. But if you're throwing up every day for a month, that's unusual, and that's getting into the territory of um, something called HG, mm. and that is a serious medical condition that may involve hospitalization. It's just, I I personally was very sick the mm. first trimester. Um, I still made it to work. <laughs> I just was lying down, sadly, on my desk a lot oh. of the time. Uh, yeah looking very pitiful hmm. and um most of my explosive vomiting was in the third trimester oh. accompanied by explosive nosebleeds huh <laughs> which are very very common in pregnancy the nosebleeds yes I'm sure it you have with your, uh... an additional 50 percent blood yeah yeah and it's much thinner yeah your veins are much thinner so um yeah actually should we get back into that veins yeah Let's well about um, veins. in general well, I'm just thinking extra 50% blood. That's like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't know there's room for that much more blood. Well, I guess there's not, which is why it leaks out through your nose. And but. you know, that's high, high blood pressure too. Yeah. That's why it's, Jesus. it's ready to spurt out like crazy. Yeah. Wow. I wonder how that works with hemophiliacs. Probably not well. No, probably, probably not. not. Well at all. No. <laughs> just imagining that you like prick your finger and you like blast blood across <laughs> maybe that's where the anime trope came from of like you know you slice someone and oh. their body explodes like it's got 50 gallons of blood there under pressure they were all pregnant <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> all demons are always pregnant <laughs> all right anyway anyways we? yeah uh so <laughs> the 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 speculation is that this happens in primates and even more so in humans the whole great enlarging of the the uh, arteries and the blood flow because brains are extremely expensive to build and uh, particularly have the larger brains yeah and humans have the largest <laughs> of all yeah uh it the the it is noted that mammals whose placenta don't breach the walls of the womb can just abort or reabsorb any unwanted fetuses at any stage of the pregnancy but uh primates have the risk of hemorrhaging as the placenta rips away from the enlarged and paralyzed arterial system which is why miscarriages are so darn dangerous and why primates make every effort to test the embryos before they allow them to implant. The embryo is walled out by the tight-packed cells of the endometrium, uh, and then there's a big hormonal dialogue between the, uh, the embryo and the uterus. The conversation is referred to as a job interview, and if the embryo <laughs> fails to convince the mother that it's perfectly normal, it gets kicked right out of there. And the question is, how does the embryo convince the mother that it's healthy? By honestly displaying its vigor and lust for life. Which is to say, by striving with all its strength to implant. And how does the mother test the embryo? By making that job very difficult. And thus the war in the uterus uh, phrasing metaphor. 
Um, but yeah, the, the interesting thing here is that the, well, one of the interesting things, a lot of interesting things, the endometrium is partially insulated from the mother's bloodstream, which protects her circulatory system from invasion by the placenta. Uh, and this is interestingly, I thought the reason for, uh, the monthly period, because after each ovulation, she just slows off the whole endometrium. That way, even the most aggressive embryo has to have her agreement before it can get comfortable, because in the absence of continual active hormonal signaling from a healthy embryo, the entire system self-destructs. If only you could just, if only that was literal, yeah. and you had to agree to right. carry a fetus. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't a hormonal embryo. conversation and more of a, like, the baby being like, hey, hey, here's, here's my genes, and you could check yes or no. There's yeah. some politicians who think it's... <laughs> who was the asshole who was like oh women can't get pregnant from rape because the mother's body has a way to shut that down yeah 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 god i remember that if only all right we wouldn't be having this discussion if that were yeah. anyway but the mother struggles to pass hormone signals into the womb due to this whole barrier thing the embryo once it's implanted and has you know opened up those arteries gets full access to her tissues which means, first of all, that the mother can no longer control the nutrient supply she offers the fetus, not without reducing the nutrient supply to her own tissues, and the fetus can release its hormones into the mother's bloodstream, thus manipulating her. Which takes us to the whole hormone thing. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that you know that I quit my job um, second trimester, mm -hmm. and I was just so miserable um there were a couple different reasons that i did it but i think that one of them was just that i was really hormonal um i, I was also doing a lot of field work yeah. and getting pretty big yeah much so, harder yeah it was a little bit more difficult to get off on going all those trailless roads but also you have an alien life form trying to control your emotions and your body through hormonal invasion what I mean, you already said you hated it. What was it like? Did you feel your emotions changing? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. But to be fair, I don't know how much was the baby and how much was the fact that I had to get off of a needed psychiatric medicine mm. <laughs> medication yeah. um, and was having to deal with that at the same time. Why not but both? Yeah, mm -hmm. it was, I, there were a lot of moments where I felt like I wanted to bail but no. I couldn't. Right. You're already mid-second trimester, right? Well, even even early on, um, I was thinking, like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. This is really bad. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I wasn't willing to bail anyway. Right. You were committed, which is I was committed. I was awesome. pre-committed. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I was also very privileged. Um, I had plenty of money and support. I happened to be white, and um, so that was all very nice for me. Um, my likelihood of surviving my pregnancy is higher than if I were a black or Latina person. Hmm. Although I will say that maternal mortality in the U.S. is very low. There's been a lot of news about it being higher than other developed countries, which is true. Okay, It's just our healthcare system, right? Yeah. Or is it a combination of that and our like fast food lifestyles? <laughs> <laughs> I I am not exactly sure. Um, I think that there's a lot of controversy. I'm sure <laughs> over why our maternal mortality rate is so high, but it's about 11 in 100,000 births. That's not very high at all. No. I mean, at least not compared to the ancestral average. That's right. Um, 
I believe 40% of ancestral humans did not make it to menopause. 40% of ancestral females, anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. About no, actually... ancestral men made it to menopause. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's but... a good point. That was just <laughs> the pregnant wives <laughs> killing them. Right. Manopause. Manopause. Yeah, yeah. When you said um, that white women are less likely, so I'm not sure what the rate was, if that 11% is the average or if that's for... for... That, that's the average for ev- all um, pe- pregnant people. In the U.S.? That's right. Uh, and it, it, is 11 it... out of 100,000, not 11%. Oh, God. Did I say 11%? Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. You said that it was higher amongst non-white women. Um, is that from access to medicine or income, or is that like... Uh... Genetic? Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the other possibility, but I, I can't imagine I'm why, pretty how sure it's not case. genetic. Yeah. Um, I will say that black women suffer from complications more often. And it probably has to do with the fact that they're more likely to be poor. Um, do white poor women have the same rate of complications as black poor women? That is a good question. I think we should look that up and get that answer. Cool. It's amazing how like numbers like that are harder to find. Like, they, they aren't like on the front page of those. Because I remember hearing something about the United States having a high uh, maternal mortality rate. And so I looked this up like last year. I can't remember any of the numbers that I found, but it was something like what you guys are reporting. It would be nice if it just gave you like the breakdown of like all the questions, like all the relevant questions you would have on the same chart, but they never do, at something least in my experience. What's interesting related to maternal and infant mortality is that um, I couldn't get my hospital to tell me what their rates were. Oh. And I asked a bunch of different people and tried That's to... That's reassuring. Yeah. Yes, they wouldn't. And in fact, they told me that if I had it, if I had that information, that I wouldn't be trusted to understand it. Oh um, they told me, well, you know, our mortality rate might look really high because we're such a good hospital that people who have complicated pregnancies come to us ah. before other hospitals. And I'm like, oh, well, or you could trust me to look at the information and mm-hmm. take those things into account. Um, we could look at, we could, you know, get granular with it and look for, you know, for, um, as a percentage of people who have gestational diabetes, um, how many, you know, preterm births r- result in infant mortality, you know, we could, yeah, yeah. we could do that. Yeah. If, you're not if smart you're, enough to, to have you're ready to, And they, the thing is they must have that information. I would assume but so. But they were just not willing to share it. Were, did you try any other hospitals? Were there any hospitals willing to share it? I, I didn't because I lived right next to that hospital. Okay. And they also told me that no matter where I went, I wouldn't find anybody willing to give me that information. Well, that might be a lie. That could be. If I had like the extra time, I would be tempted just to go to other hospitals and be like, look, this, this, and this hospital told me. So uh, if you aren't telling me, I think you got something to hide and you can fuck right off. <laughs> but then I would go to them anyway because they're next door. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see why they wouldn't give that like on the introductory pamphlet for like, so you're going to have a baby here in six months brochure that they give you because that is complicated data, right? Yes. But you're asking about it and you're actually equipped to understand it. And like the thing about, um, you know, they could, and maybe they're being, uh, maybe they're hinting at their actual numbers. Maybe they're giving it like a, an example, but like, no, we could have high numbers, but that's because we take risky cases. Like that's actually just true. Like big modern hospitals have more, like have a higher rate of failure than uh, like small local hospitals. Cause they're, they take more difficult patients. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you understand that it's, so I guess what I'm saying is like, I get why they don't hand the information to anybody without asking, but when you ask and you just, you know, you should, you're a customer, 
Yeah. It's like, I wouldn't let someone into my house to work on stuff. Like, hey, how often does this not work? Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that. So, okay, well, then leave, right? That's, that's yeah. nuts. Jeez. I did find an article about the racial differences in maternal mortality, and uh, it seems like Hispanic and black women are like two to six times more likely, regardless of socioeconomic status, to die. Damn. Regardless uh, of socioeconomic status. varies a lot depending on where they live. Um, huh. and <laughs> the, there some... the study says, like, none of these authors are able to explain the racial differences in maternal mortality rates. However, quality of prenatal delivery and postpartum care, as well as interaction between health-seeking behaviors and satisfaction with care, may explain the difference. So, hmm. take that as you will, I guess. Yeah, keep this in earmark it for the show notes if you don't mind. That's mm. interesting. Oh, yeah, and then also, the rates have not improved since 1987. Okay. For anybody or just those two demographics? Uh, the in you know the, well yeah that only talks about black Hispanic and oh. white women, but yeah that that's not good. No, weird. Yeah, that rate of social economic status not making a difference is very interesting. Um yeah, the article goes on to say that white people are just more likely to seek like prenatal care, be like proactive, and mm. have good experiences going to doctors, hospitals, etc. Hmm. Okay. And I'm assuming because, yeah, again, like, racism and probably more Hispanic and black women have to work throughout multiple pregnancies or whatever, that they're just... Yeah, yeah I was I was lucky off. to be able to quit my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't have that option. No. Well, real quick, going back to the hormones, since the main thing the, the fetus wants is lots of blood and, uh, and nutrients in order to, you know, grow big and healthy. Don't we all want that? <laughs> uh, it says in particular the fetus increases its production of a hormone that prompts the mother's brain to release cortisol the primary stress hormone cortisol suppresses her immune system stopping it from attacking the fetus and more importantly it increases her blood pressure so that more blood pumps past the placenta and consequently more nutrients are available so uh yeah this thing is literally stressing you out on a basic biological level to get more blood and and like you said the high blood pressure thing I didn't pull out these quotes from the article, but there was a thing where the mother's body reacts by issuing counter hormones that are like, no, 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 don't, don't increase the blood pressure. And the fetus counter reacts by increasing even more. It said in the last trimester of pregnancy, up to 25% of the energy budget of the fetus is spent on creating these hormones to make the mother stressed out and high blood pressure Also, the leading cause of maternal death are hemorrhage, pregnancy-induced hypertension, and embolism. So. Yes. <laughs> it's... Not so good. a major, major problem. And you said that wasn't even all of it. And uh, there were other articles I read that had the same thing where uh, I, I remember you saying that you literally felt like there was a fog coming over your brain and it, the pregnancy made you stupider while you had it. Like Yes, I, I still feel stupider. I was going to ask. <laughs> no, I was going to ask because I've heard that from multiple people. Yeah, like, I, I, feel, I feel significantly stupider and it's very embarrassing. Still? Yes. Oh, wow. Although I, I do feel better mm-hmm. and I've kind of come to terms with it. I, I mean, I had but a sim- sometimes it can be permanent and other articles that I've read um, support that too. I'd Damn. never heard that until I heard anecdotal experiences and I looked it up like nobody ever, you know, that, that's not common knowledge. <laughs> Pregnancy can make you stupider mm. permanently or temporarily. And I, I remember sucks. being that way. Um, post my surgery for quite a while i feel like i've mostly recovered but it's a horrible feeling when you're like i used to be able to do this 
and now I just can't. How, how, when did it happen? When did it occur? How did it, I guess, how did it feel, if you can put it into words? Oh, it's just slow. Um, my memory just got worse and worse, and um, my recall and my processing power. Yeah. Like, I didn't seem to be able to pick things up just as fast as I used to or grab information out of the ether as fast as I used to. Yeah, and this is common. Okay. Yes. Um, pregnancy shrinks the brain's gray matter. Ah! <laughs> Link to that too. It's got a cool little diagram where it shows the parts that shrink. Oh my god. Yeah, no, it's a natural thing. Just nine months later, a baby pops out if you don't do anything. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it's very... Literally destroys the brain. very uncomfortable. Yeah. So, aside from the nausea, um, I also had a lot of problems walking, okay. starting in the second trimester. I had something called symphysis pubis dysfunction. Okay. Um, there's it's a symphysis joint. Symphysis pubis. Symphysis pubis dysfunction. Okay. The symphysis pubis joint is in the front of your pelvis. It's an immobile joint that becomes mobile in the late ah. stages of pregnancy mm. and expands during childbirth. So got to get that big head through there. So yeah. The dysfunction is caused when it becomes a little more mobile a little earlier, <laughs> and um, it starts that joint starts rubbing. Mm, and nice. actually, interestingly, um, archaeologists can tell can estimate how many children a skeleton had by looking at the wear on the symphysis pubis. Oh. So somebody with symphysis pubis dysfunction might appear like they've had more children than they have. But it's very painful. Um, about, I think, one in five people have it. Yes. And, um, yeah, it's really nasty. Add to that, um, severe headaches are very common in pregnancy. Okay. Um, so is a lot of back pain. Mm-hmm. Um, significant back pain. That's fine. I already have that. <laughs> Aren't a lot of your organs just pushed out of the way and compressed? Organs are Yeah, it's just, it's just generally uncomfortable. It's generally uncomfortable. Then you also can't sleep um, for multiple reasons. But one of them is because the fetus is more active at night. Mm. So they're little vampires in more than one sense. Yeah. So they're having parties in there and doing flips, <laughs> and you're trying to sleep. Friends over. Also, um, the good news is that this is not true. But the medical advice is that you lay on your left side only and sleep on your left side only um, during your third trimester because that doesn't cut off any blood or compress any nerves. Mm, okay. But it turns out it's actually fine to sleep on your back or sleep on your other side. Okay. And I would imagine so. I think humans have been doing this for a while and they've probably survived i mean yeah. we're here and if it's not <laughs> so. fine to sleep on your back you will find out that you're one of those people pretty soon hmm. after lying on your back I'm wait assuming uh, uh go ahead stomach sleepers are just completely fucked yes ah okay um apparently shouldn't sleep on your stomach anyway but uh i've heard that uh, scare quotes i basically sleep only on my left side anyway but <laughs> this doesn't really apply to me so i just be a perfect pregnant woman yeah <laughs> Uh, another article I found about how pregnancy affects the brain says, researchers say women lose some gray matter while they're pregnant, but their brains also become more efficient and strengthen women's feelings of attachment. That, um... Is that a good trade-off? I'm like... 
that also feels like something that took over your brain. Be like, hey, be very attached to me. Love this me. This is something you want, blood. right? Uh, I remember also you were saying something about like your ligaments loosened and your joints got wobbly. Yes, absolutely. What What is that? Because there was a certain specific hormone I think you mentioned. I don't remember. I probably now. did mention a hormone. Can I remember it anymore? No. no. Okay. Um, but <clears throat> that's absolutely true. Your ligaments get loose. Um, people are more prone for injury. Anecdotally, my mother broke her arm um, during her pregnancy with my little brother. And those kinds of things, slips with um, more severe injuries are more common because of the ligaments and also because your center of balance is way off. Your mm. body has been reorganized. Do the ligaments tighten up again after pregnancy? Yes. They do. Okay, cool. Does that, that central pubis so. thing stop being yes. flexible? Okay. Thank goodness. A lot of these things that happen during pregnancy go away after pregnancy. Now, a lot of the actually giving birth is a major medical event yes and that can have really long-term um long-term consequences on the body yeah even though the the death rate is way down it is not a simple procedure by any means yeah well having a baby in a hospital with all sorts of medical care right there is very safe mm -hmm. um but it, it's also just it's dreadful yeah. um I was, I was hemorrhaging. I think everybody loses quite a, li a lot of blood. You have extra blood to lose, so that's nice. Um, but there was also like yelling in the room. Like, is it just you or is someone else yelling? Because oh, be it was someone else. Like the doctors and nurses are yelling at each other. Like I'd... the uterus isn't clamping down. We need more pitocin. More. <laughs> Let's use our indoor voices, people. For fuck's sake, I'm trying to have a baby. Or. What do you mean you're out of this drug? Go get it now. And then oh, the that's nurse a scary thing bolts out the door. Damn. <laughs> and you feel really calm because you've lost so much blood. Seriously? Yeah. Oh. And your heart rate's really low. Huh. And you just don't have that much blood left. And you're just like, huh, well, I probably won't die. I wonder if that's a common thing when people are bleeding to death, that you start to get calm. It's. I think it's hard to stay hypertensive and like have a rushing heart rate when there's not a lot of blood moving through it. Yeah. I'm told, like, not that I know anyone who's died this way, but that being down a lot of blood is, uh, I wouldn't use the word relaxing, but it's, like, physiologically relaxing. I just always assumed if I were to die from a stab wound, I would die very angry. Like, I can't believe this fucker stabbed me. I hate him so much I want to kill him. And there's all got, these things I didn't do. I think until you got too worn out to be angry. Yeah, and then yeah. it turns out, like, yeah, no, this, I guess this is okay. <laughs> the... the you mentioned like all the you know that it's safe in a hospital and there's lots of medical people around. I, I remember once, like in college, we it was like some English class or something, but people were giving speeches and whatever they felt like giving speeches on. And I can't remember any of the specifics, but it was a woman talking about like that pregnancy is like the one time when you're not actually sick, where it's treated like you're having a medical problem. And it was like all these insinuations about like sexist medical stuff, but it was it was advocating in favor of like um, uh, doulas and. Uh, what? Home yeah, home births and stuff. Doulas are a great idea. Home births are maybe more dicey. I, I I think that my you know, and I wasn't equipped both as like not being able to give birth or you know having done any homework. But like my my thought at the time was like, yeah, it's it's treated like a medical thing when it's like not a medical problem, but it is a medical event. You have like an eight pound mass that you're going to be pushing out. Yeah. 
you know, at when in the delivery room, and it's going to get out one way or another. Like it's not this sounds stingy. like a medical emergency, right? Uh, but it was like I think I just remember like the, they hit that point over and over about like, uh, you know, this is the only time that someone is treated like it's a medical problem when it's not a medical problem. I, I, like, I medical, disagree. Medical problem. Disagree with. Which I disagree part, with. I disagree with that person. <laughs> Who is giving the talk? Yeah. Um, I, w- it, you feel terribly sick. It's definitely a for medical one. problem. Yeah. There's all sorts of different issues happening that are very painful and very uncomfortable, and then some of those issues are almost deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, when they put in the epidural, um, it's very normal for blood pressure and heart rate to go down. For mm-hmm. me, my blood pressure and heart rate didn't go up that's the point at which the doctor yelled at the nurse to go get the medication that they were out of to raise my heart rate. Mm. And that's the point I was like, huh? Okay. <laughs> at, least I've, at least I'm not experiencing such terrible labor pains uh, anymore. Damn. I was getting the epidural, uh, aside from, I mean like the actual, uh, process of injecting it. Well, it took too damn long. Mm. Yeah. I, it didn't kick in in time. I, so they want you to have, um, they want you to have contractions that are like five minutes apart or less, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, they'll tell you exactly what time to come to the hospital, but mine were rolling. They were rolling one into the other. Mm. Um, by the point that I got the epidural, I didn't have any relief. It was just contraction <laughs> after contraction and it took them so, so long to get me into the hospital, into a room, have the person go get the person who does the epidurals <laughs> and set everything up. Luckily, I didn't have a wet tap, um, which is what happens when they accidentally um, puncture your spine and um, put the medication into your spinal fluid. Um, that results a few days later in apparently like the worst headache that you've ever had for several days well yeah (laughs) i think my sister might have had that with her first i don't believe she had an epidural with the latter with the later two because the first one was so dicey um there was some issue where they also couldn't remove the needle oh damn for maybe safety reasons or something she left it in for like hours which i don't know how that was safe but i'm not a doctor um but she had a number of blood clots She, she went to the hospital it's great because she's like right on the cusp of like hypochondriac, but she went in, like if I say right now, like her fingers were numb, do your fingers get it all numb or is it just me who can imagine it? Like, I mean, it happens sometimes. Right. My but like right position. now I'm saying that and I, my fingers are tingling. Right. Oh. Anyway. So like it's for me, it's really easy to induce that just by like the suggestion, mm-hmm. but she went to the hospital a few days after she had her first kid and had an MRI and they're like, okay, let's, we're not gonna let your husband drive you. We're going to take you down to the, um, Anschutz Medical Center in Denver because mm-hmm. they're really good at brain stuff. You need to stay in the hospital for like 10, 12, 14 days because she had a bunch of um, blood clots in her brain. Mm. And uh, it was after a few days, it was just really, really boring, you know, because they've got to slowly titrate up the blood thinners. Yeah. Um, but it was like 15 minutes from my house. I was able to visit a bunch. Um, but the, anyway, so that was just my thought. Uh, this must, so wet tap might have been what happened there. Um, I don't think they, they never had like a, no one, of course, admitted, here's what happened to this, why you almost died. Um, no one came to her and explained that. But A I, wet tap shouldn't almost kill you or cause brain clots. Okay, I figured if it was causing a headache, it might have done something else in that region then. Yeah, so something else happened then, but... Um, brain clots are often painless. It was, I don't know if, I, I don't think she, she didn't, like I said, it wasn't a headache that took her to the hospital. It was numbness in her digits, but... Yeah. Um, and so I thought 
I, I heard I heard brain thing, and I assumed the other brain thing was involved, but I guess not. So maybe something different. Okay, mystery stay, stays open. Yeah. But other than that, things worked out great. Um, you know, good enough that she wanted another kid. Fun fact. Let's see. What are the odds that her son will hear this? I mean, if he hears it right now, no big deal. He doesn't know English If he yet. hears it in 10 years. <laughs> probably next to nothing. I would assume basically zero. Unless we're so famous that it doesn't matter because you can apologize to him with $10 million. And this is this is a funny anecdote. So she learned she was pregnant the week that her husband got a vasectomy oh, uh, with, this, okay. with their cool. last kid. Which doesn't mean that Why? it was an accident. It means it was a happy miracle, right? Yeah. What, what's, what's the big deal <laughs> if he were to hear that? They weren't planning on him, you know? Okay. So, some, some kids... Some, I, I, some, I still find that weird because, like... It's been a very recent phenomenon that people plan on kids. I think, yeah, but I think it's like a dig at, like it was a common thing even like, you know, whatever playground stuff like, oh, you're an accident or something, right? Like, well, that was like an insult. That's like, fucking weird, man. I don't know. My I sister like to joke got that, pretty my, messed up by hearing that. My, my brother and I, I like to joke are each half of an accident because you can't plan on identical <laughs> twins, so. I just, I don't, I don't know. My, my parents came from the old world, and at one point, my sister was trying to hurt my mom. I, early teens, 12, 13, you know, when kids are really awful. She was like, well, you can tell that I was an accident. And my mom was like, what the fuck are you talking about? We were married. We were having sex. Kids happen. <laughs> this is not a country where people plan for kids. You just assume kids will happen. Oh, yeah. I remember like watching some documentary when I was young about uh, people living in the Victorian era. And they had, like for periods, like washable pads uh, made of cloth. And I kind of just assumed that that was how people did and I found out much later that actually a lot of women never had very many periods in their lives because they were always pregnant or nursing. Yeah. And that's cool. I didn't mean to derail us so far. I thought I had just found an interesting thing to Google as far as solving that three three and a half year old mystery about the <laughs> brain thing my sister had. So speaking speaking of not having any control over your body, the contractions are not a thing you can do, right? I mean, they're not voluntary. No. Okay. It's it's another thing where the fetus is just like, hey, fuck you, I'm coming out, and your body's like... And the contractions can start um, a week before. Okay. About. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, and they rack your body. I, I had always thought that it was like, the water breaks, the baby starts coming, and the contractions are soon after. No, that's in movies and cartoons. Yeah. That's my water what, that's didn't break... my knowledge of pregnancy comes from. My water didn't break until I was 10 centimeters dilated, which is when it's time to push. Oh. Um, yeah. In fact, they they didn't believe me when I said that my water hadn't broken and thought that um, it had because they reached in and thought that they were feeling my child's bald head. Mm -hmm. But really, it was pressed up against the membrane. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And then it broke, and then it was it was time. I mean, I've had cramps before. I sometimes have just a little twitch in my right eye, and that's insanely annoying because it's like body what are you doing i didn't say to do that but yeah like just cramps constant coming can't do anything about them i think it's less like cramps, cramps and but more um, like a full body like the closest i can imagine that non-pregnant people would go through is like vomiting where it's like your entire body's involved it's oh, so it's not flexing. just cramps a contraction oh okay yeah, so what is a contraction then because i assumed it was like kind of cramps in the uterine area it's like a it is a muscular it's like cramps but like a taser yeah well yes it's it's in your uterus and it's kind of it's an intensive cramp because a cramp is your muscle tightening all at once and it's your uterus getting ready to push out that baby um just 
getting ready. Those Braxton Hicks contractions can happen pretty early. The first time I had one, I just almost fell over. Damn. Um, it was so intense. I kind of fell to the wall. Mm-hmm. I was at the gym after after floating in the pool, which I did every day. <laughs> and I, I heartily recommend if you have access to a pool. The Braxton Hicks are false labor contractions that you had like a week in advance. Those like happened and then went away for a few days, right? Or were they present for like the week leading up to real labor? Well, they don't happen that often. So, so it wasn't like they, every couple of hours or whatever? They happening a little bit more often, more and more often. And then um, I'd say that the contractions at first aren't that bad, and they get really, really intensely bad, but uh, and then also really close together, so you don't have any relief from them. Yeah, it's it's pretty nasty. And then we have the pregnancy itself, which a lot of tearing I've heard. You mean the, the, the birth part? The you birth said pregnancy. Part. Oh, did yeah. I say pregnancy? I meant the birth part. Yeah. It's pretty terrible. Um, I was on an epidural. I still felt a lot of pain, Mm. and I hadn't slept for over 24 hours at that point um, because I couldn't sleep with somebody coming in and turning me around and me being on the epidural and in a hospital Mm -hmm. with noise all the time. Yeah, and so I was already exhausted when it was time to push. So your labor was like around the range of 24 hours long? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, actual labor. Labor tends to go on for longer than that. And then the pushing part, I think, was only for about an hour and a half. Only. <laughs> and it can, it is extremely variable. It can be several hours or it can be very quick. And if you've had a previous child, it tends to be on the quicker side. Um, but it was pretty awful. I ended up. My, I was less and less able to push towards the end. Mm-hmm. So just out of sheer exhaustion, right? Out of sheer exhaustion. Yeah. And I was just, you know, second-guessing myself. And I don't know. You have to have a lot of mental toughness <laughs> to make it through that. Mm-hmm. So I asked for help. I asked for an instrument-assisted birth. Okay. And my doctor showed up. Um, by the way, your obstetrician, you think that they're going to be with you for a <laughs> lot longer. They're only there when you're halfway through the pushing. Okay. So you like start pushing and then they, they kind of show up eventually. Okay. Um, so she showed up with a vacuum, hmm. All right. a vacuum seal mm-hmm. and put it on Batman's head and um, just pulled her head really hard to try yeah. to get it out of the I was going to ask like if they still canal. used forceps, but which I think they do just, I think they do still more for, I think turning the fetus, the correct direction. Right, or, so the so. fetus is supposed to be face down, I think. Um, they're definitely supposed to be head down. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot. I didn't want to, I didn't want a C-section. I was afraid that we were getting to the point where somebody would be like, well, if you can't handle it, then let's cut, cut her Just out. Just cut it open. Yeah. And um, so I was like, oh, let's, let's try this vacuum. I also, for the record, did not know how invasive C-section was. I thought it was just like, yeah, a little slit, pull it out. No, they tear your abdomen open. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah, I... (laughs) They have to separate your muscle tissue. Yeah. Um, Something else that happens during pregnancy is um, that your abdomen, your muscle tissue separates. Um, It kind of opens like a curtain. Mm. And for some people, it never mends back together. That happened to my my sister-in-law. Okay. So she just has a really big paunch. Aww. 
um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. It's it's not. Um, it's more of a aesthetic issue, right? Than anything else, though. Anyway, um, so they got the vacuum, pulling her out, and they told me beforehand that I might be more likely to tear. And I thought, oh, whatever, I'll deal with it. Because of the vacuum. Because of the vacuum. Okay. That's right. Um, it turns out that tearing is a lot more likely, and um, I teared both front and back. Oh, God. Right down the middle. And um, was bleeding a lot from those. You immediately have to get stitches after the baby's out. And tearing is pretty common, right? Oh, it's extremely common, yes. Yeah, as a kid, my understanding, because I remember my youngest sister being born, uh, and the hospital kept making my mom watch these instructional videos, even though she already had two kids that were, even as a five-year-old, I was like, hmm, these seem like kind of demeaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like they're really insulting your intelligence here. But uh, You're like, I don't understand these videos. I shouldn't understand these videos. I'm five. <laughs> my, the understanding that I got from those videos, uh, and then like my mom also confirmed, is you always tear. And you like, and they, right, you know, in the back, and you always have to get stitches there. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, oh, while later until i learned that like actually no <laughs> sometimes it doesn't happen but would you say it's more likely than not it's really oh, yes. common yeah well very common like, i mean I, I guess i don't know if that means like one in ten or I don't nine have in the ten stats. yeah no i don't i don't i guess i was wondering if it was like on a coin toss more often than not though so not basically you can count on it happening is is what i was going for everybody who i've known to have a baby has had some sort of tear there are of course different degrees of tear uh, 75% chance, basically. It says around 27% of women experience no tearing. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing up to nine in every 10 first-time mothers. Okay. Yeah, it's very different first-time versus subsequent births. Um, yeah, so I had tearing. I had hemorrhaging. Um, not, I didn't need a blood transfusion level of hemorrhaging. Mm. Just, it was a little tense in the room, hemorrhaging. Mm. And... Um, then you also have to deliver the placenta. Is that and eat it? <laughs> you do not have to eat it. I don't know Is why that shit took off, but I hear about that on TV. And it animals do it. I mean, like it gives you back a bunch of the nutrients that you lost, sure. so it kind of makes sense if you live in the wild. Sure, if you're an animal and you're col- and you're color and you're calorie uh-huh. starved, sure. But if you can have somebody deliver to you a burger or or a or a, a nice snack, nice juicy placenta, it saves you the the hassle of having to eat your own. This is where the magic of the reproduction happens, Stephen. You have to reabsorb that in order to. Yeah, apparently there's like mommy blogs and woo woo people that think that there's some kind of benefit to eating it. Isn't it actually a lot better to keep the placenta frozen because it has stem cells? That's what I was about to say. But like, no, oh, yeah, yeah. No, Uh, the child usually cannot use the stem cells in the future. If you want to talk about cord blood banking, I know a little bit about that too. Oh, that's different from placental? Yes. Oh, okay. So, but delivering the placenta. I yeah, you del- you deliver the placenta. I had difficulty delivering the placenta. Huh? Yeah. Just because you were so tired at that point. Well, lots of reasons. Well, and everything, no, was, everything was everything was everything had been bleeding. through. Everything been through the was a disaster down there, mm-hmm. and you know the doctor had her hand up, you know, grabbing the placenta and trying to pull it out, and oh. she was saying. Your cervix just doesn't like to get rid of anything. It just wants to hold on to stuff today. Oh, my God. You weren't in the mood to receive a joke, I'm guessing. Maybe you were. I don't know. There's, there, there's... Like, I'm glad that she's having fun. And then they took it out, and she started showing everybody how long the umbilical cord was. Hmm. 
Hey, um, Steve, get in here. Yeah, Check out this umbilical cord. Yes, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> and then she's like, I can jump rope with this thing. Have you ever seen an oh, umbilical cord so long? Wow. Yeah. Doctors so are great. I feel special now. Got a lot of stem cells for Batman. That's right. Well, again, not for her. Okay. Um, the stem cells that come from the cord blood that you bank. So basically they drain the blood out of the cord. Okay. And you can bank that those stem cells for siblings. Usually, oh. they're not usable by the person themselves. Weird. Why not? I'm not sure, but they're they're not. Hmm. Okay. And you can also donate them to uh for free. Oh, so it costs thousands of dollars to bank to privately bank those stem cells. Okay. You can also donate it for free to a bank. Okay. And then it has a higher chance of being used by anyone. Wait, so just anyone can use these except for the person that was born? Yeah. <laughs> Probably with like Could the same. Could you use them? With the same. Yes. So it might be, it might be oh, for another family member. Th there's, that's actually one decent reason to maybe have a kid. Like, oh my goodness. get the stem cells and, you know, 20 years from now, be like, hey, I gave birth to you. Now I'm going to use these stem cells to rejuvenate myself a bit. Thanks. They can make pluripotent stem cells out of like your regular cells yeah. right exactly Aww, we're getting better okay. at we're getting better at making stem cells out of normal somatic cells so there's again no reason to get pregnant it's <laughs> <laughs> among the easiest the easier ways to have your own child i suppose but or yeah, just, yeah. you know but it's the yeah. primary reason most people go for it i, I have to guess yeah. yeah something that happened um during pregnancy also that i kind of knew about but not quite is that um, hemorrhoids and anal fissures are very, very common. Hmm. So, by the way, you poop a lot. Okay. Is that because there's less room for poop? or? Well, because you're pushing as hard as you can. Oh, during the birth. During the birth. Oh, okay. You poop okay. a okay. great deal, and you're straining, and this causes hemorrhoids and anal fissures. Oh, damn. See, they didn't tell us that in, like, grade school health classes, but I did learn that watching Scrubs. <laughs> that that is how happens. I learned it too. It shouldn't be how we both learned it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, people poop. You're going to poo in front of people. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of pooping. It's going to be the a lot of body said, fluids. We're all done with pooping. That's enough pooping. And I was like, no. <laughs> You're, you'd be amazed at how much I can poop. <laughs> and she was. And then. We're done when I say we're and done. Then the, and then finally she's like, oh, more poop. And I was like, are you serious? And she said, it's not yours. <laughs> it whose, was, <laughs> whose was it? It was Batman's. Oh, the, this was after the birth. During. During the birth? Yeah, she I, pooped while ever, all of this traumatic stuff was happening to both of us. I didn't know that the fetus had poop in it. Oh, yeah. Huh. Does it It's called poop? myconium, Does I it believe? poop while it's being gestating? Or is it only during birth? So it's it's usually after right after birth. Okay, okay. There's usually the first poop, but it can happen during birth. Okay. And at that point, um, there's a danger of it getting into um, the the baby's airways oh. and causing infection and stuff. And all the nice new open wounds that you have. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but you show. know, it's very clean. That first poop is very clean because it's just. The baby doesn't have any um, bacteria introduced to its digestive system yet. Huh. At least there's that. And yeah. that they get that from the vaginal canal, right? That's right. That's uh, one of the reasons, you know, that I don't want to get a C-section if possible. Uh, people, I think, with C-sections are a lot more likely to have, like, GI issues, allergies, etc. Because they don't get the uh, 
the introduction of the The causal parents. link there is not very clear, Jace. Yeah. But it is true that I guess people with C-section who are born of C-sections have more allergies and such. The benefit to C-sections is that you can have a baby with a much bigger head and I forget where I read this, but somebody was talking about this is like C-sections are the future of human evolution because now we can have even bigger brains. <laughs> you don't have to push them out there. It's or just... you can have a twofer like me and my brother. That's a and also, you can gain a lot more weight during pregnancy or be obese and have a really big baby get it out by C-section. What I'm hearing is we all need to date the uh, nine-foot women from the Snoo Snoo planet. <laughs> Maximum brain size. It's not clear where they were coming from, is it? It was all women on that planet. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Probably did a pseudo-copulation like lizards. Or like Zeus, like Amazonia. We're getting too far afield. <laughs> well, in the Amazonia, didn't they just, you know... Kick all the, the male infants off a cliff? I don't actually... That wasn't in the Wonder Woman movie, so... Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not very heroic, I guess. Yeah, they didn't do a 300 version of, of, of Wonder Woman's backstory. They should, though. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, on a scale of, like... Uh, well, that's not the way to put it. How typical was your birth... Or your pregnancy and birthing compared to, like, the average? Would you say, very. like... Very typical? Yes, it was very typical. It was very healthy. It sounds so much worse there, than I would have guessed the average one. There That's were no complications. Um, the, I was miserable. The additional tearing wasn't doesn't count as a compl- complication. No, it doesn't. Nice. I don't. I don't like their metrics, but I'll t- if you if you're okay with the metrics, I'm, I'll take your okayness on it. I mean, well over half. So that's probably normal. If your definition of normal is well over half. But you said you got two. So I feel like that's. I don't know. I may have gotten some extra tearing from the instrument-assisted birth. Still. It's possible. Um, the fun part about the tearing was that it didn't heal correctly the first time. So, um, a month and a half or so after giving birth, I went into the doctor and I was like, it still hurts every time I pee. And she said, oh, um, that scar is really messed up. We're going to have to burn it off and have it reheal. Oh, no. So they burned it off with silver nitrate. Oh, that's the freezing stuff they use to like burn off warts, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They, so they just burned off my scar. Uh, and of course, because you're, you know, a new mother, you probably couldn't be generally anesthetized for, or probably not even Twilight. Like, were they able to anesthetize you at all for this? No, they didn't. They just burned it off. Jesus! At least give you a fucking shot of whiskey or something. It hurt. <laughs> God damn. It was uncomfortable, but um, also I had an an- the anal fissure, which turned out to be chronic anal fissure. And I'm going to be getting a surgery for that. And it's been three and a half years of just dealing with a, a lot of pain there. Yeah. And then also your take labia that are never the same. Oh, yeah. Which wouldn't bother me, except that I get a tear every time I use a tampon without um, a lot of lubricant. Okay. You said what's never the same? Your labia. Oh. So it tears Jesus because tampons... Uh, I, I'm sure that doesn't happen to most people because <laughs> I, f- I feel like some of us but would have heard about it but the always changes for everyone well I guess it depends on how extensive your tearing is Okay. <laughs> and in what direction so and mine went up through my labia and is that resolved or is that still an ongoing that's thing? an ongoing issue is that fixable um, you can get like labiaplasty labia <laughs> more surgery yeah I guess yeah man and every time I get a surgery, well, I've only gotten the one surgery to get my tubes tied since I've been pregnant, but it, I get flashbacks mm. oh, really? to, to pregnancy 
and to childbirth and it's 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 traumatic yeah i was gonna say so you have like ptsd from childbirth yeah maybe you're just more coherent throughout it than most people but do you do you have any insight to why it is like some people some i don't know anyone i don't know that many people who've given birth i guess but nobody you know comes out of there carrying their baby and they're like that was awesome right <laughs> so but then they like they forget how much it sucked yeah and then they go back for it I think that's so. a real thing. I think that you really, really do forget. Um, when Inyash asked me if I would be willing to talk about the horrors of pregnancy, I thought, oh, you should have asked me that you know, right after it happened. Yeah. We would have had two very different stories, maybe. Yeah, because I, I think that it was a couple hours of me passionately ranting at you right. about how terrible it was in every, in every way that you can imagine. And now I'm just like, yeah, you know, it was uncomfortable. And several times when we met during your pregnancy, too, I, I got to learn a lot. I, I'm not sure if you would have mentioned the brain fog thing if I didn't specifically remember that and push it out. Because that was one of the scariest things to me. That just, like, it makes you dumber. The fetus fights your brain. Like, it shrinks um, your brain. shrinks your brain. Also, yeah. approximately 9% of women experience PTSD following childbirth. Damn. That's a, that's a big percentage. Yeah. Um, the other thing was, uh, the part of the reason I got pregnant was, well, the reason was to make a person, mm -hmm. um, who I could raise and love and hopefully, um, steer into being a well-adjusted member of society who has a happy life. Mm -hmm. Uh, after I, after I pushed her out, um, my husband immediately bonded with her and I didn't. Mm. And a month later, I still didn't. And oh, a month man. later, I still didn't. And I was getting a little nervous. It turns out that for a lot of people, it takes a while hmm. to bond with your new infant. Is that, is that at all related to the PTSD and the horror that you went through? Possibly. Okay. Is that synonymous with postpartum depression? Or can you be not depressed and also just not bond with your I think you can, not be, you can be not depressed. I was depressed. I had postpartum depression. I was at, um, because I was on depression and anxiety medication, I was at very high risk for postpartum depression, and that's exactly what happened. Also, I had this idea that after I gave birth, my body would be my own again, and that mm -hmm. wasn't true. Oh, why is that? Well, suddenly, I, I still had to provide all of the nutrition okay. for this little person. With breastfeeding? With breastfeeding, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it was very painful. Oh. And actually, one of the things that happened after I gave birth was that a nurse came up and grabbed my nipple and painfully pulled and twisted it. What the fuck? Without asking my permission. Buy you a drink first. Why? Sorry. <laughs> Why? Couldn't make, miss the joke. Um, because I wasn't um, producing milk as fast as they wanted me to. And that helps? And I was, I was sitting there kind of squeezing my own nipples mm -hmm. gen gingerly because they were in a lot of pain. And, Maybe um, I just gotta unscrew it. <laughs> <laughs> and the nurse is like, "Here, here, here!" Oh. Just reached out and grabbed, and I was like, I yelled, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Why did you do that? Don't do that!" Mm -hmm. And um, the the pressure to breastfeed is extremely high mm -hmm. at the hospital. They have people coming in and trying to help you breastfeed constantly. Um, I hated it. I always hated it. I hated it for as long as I did it, which was about six months. Um, before we went on to formula. Apparently formula is fine. And when I wasn't breastfeeding, I <laughs> was pumping. Oh, yeah, there's a shortage, right? Yeah. 
Ugh. right now yeah yeah i was i was i was always hooked up to something yeah. on my boobs and just immobile and i felt like i felt like a cow must feel mm. so getting pregnant very bad if you're into bodily autonomy yeah but after i stopped breastfeeding i felt better that's good <laughs> yeah well andy told us a really cute story about you know things are you know out of like out of the ballpark crushing it now Right. Yeah. So oh. they, it, I think it's worth at least bringing the part of this home on like everything turned out like as best as possible, right? Yeah. So well, like it did it, eventually. It took a couple years. Uh, it took a couple years, and now my daughter says I love you, and we love each other so much, and she always wants mommy hugs. Aww. She finally stopped telling me that her dad was her favorite parent. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's a bitch. Jesus. <laughs> uh, well, I guess she didn't know. No. No. She doesn't. She doesn't know. I've heard some parents who go through that. That's very common, by the way, who like hide in a closet and cry mm. after their kid rejects them. Aww. And um, I, I never hid in a closet and cried. I was just like, uh. Eh. Whatever. You don't know what you're saying. I don't saying. like you either. Right. <laughs> yeah, guess what? That's probably part of it. But I wonder, too, it's like, you know, you don't know what you're saying. You're just making mouth noises because you're a exactly. baby. But I can sort of see how it would feel like a kick in the stomach of, like, you know, I went through all this hell for you, and you're going to say you like it. All right, well, fine. Fuck you, too. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. So the I guess we should probably touch on the postpartum depression, too, before we finish wrapping up, because it says here 10 to 20% of moms get some uh, severe postpartum depression. What... I mean, I guess we kind of know what depression is anyway, but how did that affect your life and what do you do about it? Well, I was doing things like um, trying to get back into working again and postpartum depression made that very difficult. Um, That and plus I was hooked up. I had to bring a breast pump with me everywhere. And um, oh, also lots of breast pain happens. Hmm. Um, plugged glands are very common and the treatment for that is to take painkillers, go into the shower, turn it on as hot as you can and, um, just grind into the spot where there's the plug. So anyway, it's lovely. Hmm. Um, postpartum depression is really bad. Every day I thought it's not forever that I'm going to feel miserable at all times. And I was just waiting, waiting for a day when I felt some happiness. And it came. Cool. And then I felt happier more of a day. And then there came days when I wasn't even miserable at all. Aww. And now I'm not depressed at all. Cool. Yeah. So are, you, um, ba- out of hell. are you back on the medications that you had to taper off? No, I'm not back on those medications. I'm back on Different new, ones. better medications. Ah. Good. That I'm that I'm very happy with that actually treat my depression. <laughs> so is, uh, well, first off on the postpartum depression, um, I loved your described attitude towards it because I think having maybe it's not even the same thing as having like an identifiable cause, but just knowing that like okay yeah this is because of this in some direction like you can point to the thing that's causing it like okay yeah and I it'll get better I think that's got to be immensely helpful. It um, does get better. You probably will love your child at some point. Most people do. There was somebody at the gym who saw me being pregnant and felt like she needed to tell me that she never loved her child (laughs) and that that might happen to me. But I I still, I still thought, you know, someday we were going to get there. Mm -hmm. 
Good. And I was well, right. Glad that stranger felt the compulsion to dump her garbage on you. Um, you kind of, I don't know, like, see where they're coming from. If if you'd ask, if you go sure. through all that shit and then you never love your kid, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, but I guess you you tell that to your friends who are talking about getting pregnant, not some stranger at the gym who's already <laughs> pregnant. But anyway, I guess the other thing I was going to say is, is postpartum depression. Do you have any idea if it's like, because if it's ten to twenty percent, it like, is it partly due to that whiplash of like the ceasefire on the part of the fetus uh, assaulting your brain and your brain still compensating for that? Or is it? Yeah, it's hormone imbalance. It's also lack of sleep. Um, you do not sleep much with a newborn at all or with a small child. Oof. And it's, your, your life has been completely rearranged. Um, Jace, I, I did want to mention, I've talked to trans men who went through pregnancy <laughs> and I experienced it a little bit myself but there's a lot of gender dysphoria that happens um especially around how you're treated yeah that's actually it's weird i (laughs) before i transitioned i kept thinking i never wanted a kid because i i was anticipating the gender dysphoria even before i knew i was trans i guess i was like "Uh, i don't want to be a pregnant woman and have to be treated like a pregnant woman How, and how, it's like, oh, now that I'm a man, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. How how were you treated differently? Do you remember? Well, I was treated like I didn't have a brain. Oh, okay. yeah, infirm and, and was helpless. irresponsible, huh. you know, <laughs> and needed to be, you know, follow specific rules, and um, I didn't get weird. a choice in a lot of matters, and yeah, it's. Um, why would you be treated like you don't have a brain? Well, because a lot of people don't, I suppose. Okay. Well, yeah. I think there's probably like some some measure of like, you know, you know that you shouldn't drink when you have a, when you're pregnant because you know you know it's not or whatever get drunk when you're pregnant, right? But there's something about like you knowing that and you deciding to do that yourself, and then someone else saying don't do that. It's like I wasn't going to, but you telling me not to now is I'm great. Gonna. No, no, it's not. It's not even like I'm going to rebelliousness. It's just like I think there might be an impulse of like. You think I'm too dumb to not know that? Yeah, like, it's very patronizing. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of some way to steer this back towards the happy outcome because the thing sounds like you know awesome now, but yes, it was, so but it was a long trek a of wanted, shit. That's a wanted pregnancy, and it had a happy outcome because I believe it was planned because I was privileged, and um, because yeah, got yeah. lucky. Yeah. Um, but. So it was a really happy outcome. This all has made me um, more pro-abortion rights than I was before. And I was definitely before. But now I'm just like donating to pro-abortion causes, abortion funds to help people get abortions if they need it. I've helped a friend get an abortion mm. out of state. Okay. So. Hero. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, so to anybody who's just like, well, you know, you just. If you don't want to be a parent, you just have it, carry it to term, deliver it, and hand it off. Like, the, <laughs> but that—that that is that is a thing said that by is people. What some people say, yeah. Um, so they clearly just have never spoken to somebody who's gone through pregnancy, or listened rather to somebody who's gone through pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It sounds like some people have easy pregnancies. The friend who I helped um, had three previous pregnancies and three children, and was pregnant a fourth time on birth control. Mm. Super fertile. And yes, very fertile. And she was the sickest she was ev- had ever been in her life mm. um, with just severe nausea and vomiting. 
and was taking care of a special needs child and just was not in a place to be pregnant again, you know, going through a divorce. It was just awful for her. And um, so I definitely did all I could. For what it's worth, I don't want to blame people for not knowing this because, again, I, I mean, I was a kid, seven when my mom was pregnant, and then again, nine. So I was like there for her pregnancy, and I still speak with my mom. We have a great relationship, but I never knew any of this. She never told me any of this. It wasn't taught in school. I didn't know it until Katrina got pregnant, and we were hanging out and talking about it. Like, I don't blame people for not knowing this um, particularly, which is one of the reasons I wanted to produce this episode. So hopefully more people who didn't know this will know it now. My mom told me that she didn't remember not that she lied to me, mm. that she didn't remember anything about it. All yeah. nine months, just couldn't remember any of it. It makes sense. <laughs> no, it's like after the pregnancy. I mean, like, I don't know if this was a joke, but it, somebody said nobody would ever have a second kid if they remembered. Mm. And that, that, that forgetting is actually adaptive. Yeah. So you don't get that PTSD. <laughs> or not as badly. I don't blame people for not knowing stuff. I blame people for having strong opinions without, without trying knowing, to learn yeah. stuff. You know? Yeah. Um, certainly someone trying to legislate an opinion without trying to learn stuff. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I I didn't know most of the stuff and I talked to my sister a lot when she was pregnant and, you know, didn't, didn't, I, you know, I I knew parts of some of this stuff, but nothing, uh, nothing like the base rates of a lot of these things. I learned Uh, a lot. Like when I started, uh, like what, two or three years ago, I started thinking about having a kid and just researching it. Cause even though I was like, like you, uh, I was there for the pregnancy of my youngest sister and, it was considered, like, I think it still is, but it's getting better, but it was considered the secret thing. Like, you mm-hmm. don't talk about it. I remember one time walking into a room with my mom and grandmother, and my mom was on a breast pump, and they were like, oh, get out, get out. <laughs> you, you may not see this. Like, you know, you don't get to see this part of pregnancy. Yeah. That just sounds so much more horrible if you've gone through this terrible thing, and then you're expected to pretend that you're super happy, and pregnancy's great, and I'm, I love this baby, and it was fying <laughs> you're worried it'll discourage people from having kids i don't know i, I think people join... just are uncomfortable with knowing about it i tried to join a pregnancy support group and i was the only one who wanted to complain <laughs> and i i just thought maybe there's something wrong with me as a person hmm. um as an individual person where i can't handle what everybody else is able to take in stride that's how everyone feels like you know, I, what's wrong with me? I've seen that so often. I was, I'm actually thinking of, and I should probably link to it, there's this series of comics called Still a Good Mom. And it's like the mom crying in the closet says Still a Good Mom. You know, like, uh, there's a few other things. But, like, an awareness campaign that, like, this is, it's pretty common to feel miserable. And not to always make the best, like, you know, most healthy, positive choice. Because, yeah. you know, like, using formula. <laughs> I, I don't just real quick. I don't know if I have the wrong understanding of what a support group is, but it sounds like a place you go to complain and commiserate with people who can then hear your complaints and be like, "Oh yeah, been there. Let's talk about that." Other people don't want to. What do they? What do they need support with if they're not there to complain? <laughs> well, it wasn't called a support group. I I looked hard for pregnancy support groups and I only found one, which was crazy to me. Wow. And it was, um, yeah. That was in Denver. It was in Denver. Yeah, looking in Denver, and I only found one. And it was just a pregnant mommy's um, first time pregnant mommy meetup. And so it wasn't called a support group. 
but I was like, I need support. I'm going to go. And I just went to one meetup and I never went back. <laughs> was it just people sharing like their glowing happiness? Of... Yes. Yeah. Were they playing Pregnant Women Are Smug on repeat during the meetup? I thought of that song often. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've heard it. It's a great song. Right. Simon and Gar- Not Simon and Garfunkel. Garfunkel and Oh, Oh, I know. Okay, I do. I have heard that song. They're great. Yeah. Well, I don't want to discourage anyone from having kids because rationalists tend to not have a lot of kids and I would like us to continue into the future. Um, and for what it's worth, the rationalists I know that do have kids are extremely happy with them and say that this is the most fulfilling and rewarding thing they've done in their lives. So it sounds like it comes with some good parts, but those people were also men, so they didn't have to go through pregnancy. But it sounds, like it, it sounds like things ended up well enough that like, if you could go back and do it again, would you? I would change some things. What would you change? The medication issues. Okay. Yeah. That fucking shrink. That's that's frustrating as all heck. Because yeah, I have generalized anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. and with the with the baby pumping up your cortisol mm-hmm. and not being on medication that you need to be on, uh, it was a disaster. So, yeah. I mean, my plan was to do things so that wouldn't happen, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's just a little wrench in there. There's always a wrench in your plan oh god when it yeah. comes to pregnancy and childbirth any plan but yeah no that's, pregnancy that's plan survives extra <laughs> important. Yeah. no pregnancy plan survives contact with the enemy <laughs> which is the fetus knowing everything that you know you still would do this to pay if it was the price you needed to pay to get a, a batman out of it yes i would do it again for her okay i would do it again for my batman well you would do it once the first time just once yeah not a second time no never okay <laughs> I learned a lot. I found this really valuable. I, I do appreciate the sentiment of wanting more people to know what it's like from, I was going to say, now no one can claim that they don't, you know, that, oh, it's easy, you just have it. But not everyone will hear this episode, but everybody should. Um, I don't know how people do it over and over again. I just, I guess forgetting is part of it, um, but also just wanting kids so much. Yeah. That that might be something worth touching on, because I, I know at least a couple of women who, they've always wanted to be a mom. And, like, that's, like, a thing that they've wanted, I'm assuming, like, since puberty, maybe before, you know, they had dolls or something or whatever. But, like, they'll describe it that way, like, oh, I knew I always wanted to be a, be a mom. And I don't know, I should find one that is going to have a second, but I don't know of anyone who fits that just yet. My but, like, if they still feel that way after the first kid. I know like, people who definitely decided not to have additional children. Oh, yeah, after the first one? After the first one, even and thinking that they wanted to have four. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that I want to, but we'll see. My, my wife knew somebody or worked with somebody who said, because somebody else was taking off maternity leave or whatever, and this came up, but that they really liked being pregnant. And that, that surprised me. And I we both kind of speculated, like, I wonder if she's just lying to us or to herself, or if she enjoyed it. Some people like Possibly. Some, some people, people like, like having their flu. period. So. Some, people, some people love being pregnant, and um, I'm not sure if my friend was lying to me about it, but I definitely had a friend who just thought it was great. Um, my sister-in-law thought it was great. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Was pretty happy with the whole thing. Maybe they forgot all the symptoms or maybe there's just something about like knowing that there is something really, really cool happening that, you know, you're gestating a life, which is, you know, you're creating a human being, which is super hard. The like, coolest, coolest part is seeing the baby, um, in your stomach, hmm. like your stomach, like, like as you're digesting the baby on the ultrasound. <laughs> is really exciting um, every time you get to do that and then when you first start to feel the baby moving around it makes it, it gets from a little old but uh, the novelty wears off but yeah. <laughs> the first few times is like 
mind blowing. It's kind of cool because you can actually see a little hand move across your stomach. Like in all the cool horror movies, except sweet and adorable. <laughs> no, no, I, I meant that kind of funny, but yeah, yeah, no, that that's that sounds kind of like what I was imagining. Yeah, that there's something, you know, I don't want to throw the word miraculous around, but something something like that, where it it sounds like an unparalleled experience. There's yeah. also something to like going through hell and surviving it and having something you're proud of on the other mm. end of it. This child. Yeah, yeah. You're like I did that. I mean, I know a lot of army guys seem to absolutely love the basic training hell camp. They're like, this was one of the worst parts of my life and also one of the best parts of my life. Surviving the trenches. I get that. Mm. Yeah. Hey, we're back. We're going to the less wrong posts now. And our first one is two cult koans. Is that how you pronounce it? Does anyone know? Yeah. Okay. The last several weeks, maybe more than that, several months, we've been reading Eliezer's uh, sequences and they were going on a whole bunch of things about how a lot of causes turn into cults, want to turn into cults. Here's some of the ways it happens, the evaporative cooling of beliefs, the happy death spirals, don't do this because this would be bad and it ruins your ability to be rational when you are uh, stuck in this sort of mindset that this idea is the most important thing and we should promote it. He's continuing on this whole don't be a cult thing but in this particular post, I got the impression that he was like, here's some things that's not being a cult, but some people may say it's being a cult, and that's kind of dumb. Is that the impression you guys got from the uh, Two Cult Kawans post? More or less. Yeah. I mean, it's it's done in a whatever allegory style. This one of those posts, right? Yeah. Um, the second one specifically was just like, the guy has a problem with the robes and hats, and he's like, okay, well, you know, it's not a cult. <laughs> well, what I liked, there was, so the, yeah, the, the five second version is that the the student is like, I'm worried this is a cult. And then, you know, is assuaged. Then later on, their student says, I'm worried this is a cult. And it's like, all right, well, then put on this wizard's hat. And I'm trying to find the line where it says, uh, you know, okay, that's insane. How will that help? I'm sorry, but having to wear these robes in the hood, it just seems like we're the bloody Freemasons or something. Mm. Oh, no, I see. There was a line break or there was a dot, dot, dot. I thought that was in the post. Um how can this possibly help with wizard hat? Well, since you're so concerned about the interactions of clothing and probability theory, it should not surprise you that you must wear a special hat to understand. <laughs> Followed by, when the novice attained the rank of a grad student, he took the name Bozo and would only discuss rationality while wearing a clown suit, which was the line that I enjoyed. I feel like Kutkowski's mentioned clown suits at least twice, and I'm disappointed <laughs> that I haven't seen a video of him giving a talk in a clown suit. Mm, maybe someday. Dolly, that's going to be the next thing. Right. Mask it to make a picture of Eliezer in a clown suit. Yeah, I think if you're like register as a clown, I don't think it's eggs anymore because those break easily, but it's like a porcelain painting of the pattern that you put on your face. Mm-hmm. They like live in a museum. Like if you're registering with like the, the Guild of Clowns. <gasps> Is the what? insane clown posse in there? I doubt it, but maybe. I'll ch- I, I haven't awesome. done that much. I've only heard of this. So I mean, maybe if I Google <laughs> Guild of Clowns, something will come up, but I'll do that later because right now we're moving on to. Uh, Wait, before we did, I wanted to test one thing that I pulled out of it. False laughter was a really good lead-in after clowns, but that's totally fine. Right, because no one actually laughs at clowns. <laughs> they are not funny. <laughs> the thing I pulled out was from the first koan where the student, I was going to say kid, but who knows, maybe he's an adult student, uh, is really anxious about being seen as a cult uh, member. And the guy, the guru says, you're too anxious about your self-image. You came to me to seek reassurance. If you had been truly curious, not knowing one way or the other, you would have thought of ways to resolve your doubts. But you needed to resolve your cognitive dissonance. You, <laughs> you were willing to put on a silly hat because he tells him to put on a giant cowboy hat. And then he'll explain it to him. And the guy's like, okay, fine. And he puts on the hat. When you concentrate on real world questions, the worth or worthlessness of your understanding will soon become apparent. Specifically pointed out the sort of like you're like a swordsman looking to the side to see if anyone thinks you look silly wielding the sword. 
like use the techniques and it doesn't matter what you do in your free time if the techniques help you understand the world better is that reasonable summary yeah oh, i like that and if the techniques don't help you see the world uh, as it correctly is don't use the techniques yeah if you find it's not your thing you know no one's gonna make you stick around we don't even charge dues okay on to false laughter then steven what was false laughter about I was Googling the uh, clown registry. I just sent you the link for it. Um, easy punches don't count as real jokes or creative creative uh, humor. Cool. That, I mean, that's that's my one-sentence distillation. Okay. Yeah, I really liked uh, your summary in Ash satire. Achieve surprise by saying out loud the thoughts you didn't dare think. Fake satire repeats thoughts you were already thinking. I always wonder what the difference is between satire and parody and other jokes because... Like, you kind of see it, you kind of know it when you see it, but I hadn't ever really thought about deeply what it is. The thing, the part where it's sitting out loud, the thoughts you didn't dare think, that is a pretty decent summary. I but thought, like, Swift's modest proposal was satire. It is. But, like, no one's thinking they should actually do that, unless they were. Maybe they were? Eh. Yeah, I don't Maybe, know. I think it was making fun of bad government policy or something, right? Yeah. So, that was the... Okay, yeah. Maybe he was making fun of a specific thing that was happening in the political sphere at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was about the poor. Oh, yeah, and I guess the 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 message wasn't like we should be eating babies. The message was like this is what a you know a a bureaucratically formulated argument sounds like, and this is the kind of bullshit reason that goes into it. Mm -hmm. So like it wasn't about the baby eating proposal. It was about like making fun of bad bases for decision like government decision making yeah and in that case it was satirical all right okay, there we yeah. go all right it's the thought you didn't dare think yeah it's the thought that took me a minute to think he does say that a test for derisive laughter is if the joke would still be funny if it wasn't the hated enemy getting a kick in the pants i, I want to pull this out because he gave the example bill gates once got hit by an unexpected pie in the face <laughs> would it still have been funny albeit, albeit less funny if linus torvalds had gotten hit by the pie like, in addition to this being good advice, I really like this line because of how much context it, place this post, it places this post in. It lets you know around the time it was written when Bill Gates was still the head of Microsoft rather than a philanthropist that most people love. The Microsoft versus, uh, versus Linux wars were still kind of big in geek circles. It lets you know that he's geeky enough to know who Linus is and that he's responsible for Linux and that he has strong opinions or at least hangs around with people who have strong opinions on Windows versus Linux. It was it was a lot jammed into that one sentence. It didn't say whether it was an apple pie, though. Oh, that would have been so funny. <laughs> that was really good. What <laughs> um, this is, that's a, a good uh, litmus test to me for like good humor in the first, like good comedy in the first place, too. Like I always like jokes where like I'm uh i can relate to the if i'm not like there's a difference between being the butt of the joke like your group or whatever mm-hmm. or at least being able to like be in it um like what am i trying to say uh so i don't know like there's there's good humor where you're making fun of like parenting or something because we just had a you know conversation about that mm-hmm. louis ck had some really good jokes about that Isn't um, that like his whole comedy regime <laughs> i mean large parts of it uh but like I'm not a parent, but I get the jokes, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be funny if he's talking about parenting or about um, something else that's time-consuming and overwhelming, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't quite matter. But it, like, if you're if you're watching a comedian who's making fun of like insert whatever um, racial or ethnic group or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like if I sub this out with anybody else, would that be funny? Mm-hmm. Like hell no, right? Yeah. So then like it's not funny now. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> one of the Louis C.K. ones that's really fast that I remember was he was talking about like. 
do you, you know, do you guys like appreciate like those little vacations you get from your kids? Like when you close the car door and you get to walk around the car. <laughs> you, can, you can also tell. Katrina is nodding vigorously. <laughs> what I like is that he, he, he when, you know. He, but you can tell he loves his kid. Oh, totally. Like, even if, you know, you don't know him, you don't know anything about him. But, like, you know, he's making fun of his kid and himself, and you, but you can still feel that there's affection there. I would be really uncomfortable if somebody was making the same jokes, but I didn't have that feeling. You know, like, my kid's terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if you didn't feel the, you know, like there's another long joke about uh, they were out like on some vacation or something like a real one, and there was like a wild pony, and he's like, you know, wakes up the daughter to go show her, and of course it bites her, <laughs> and so you know they're trying to figure out, you know, so like you know, it, but you know it was that helped to illustrate like oh yeah he cares about his kids, but um, anyway the vacation joke I just likes because it this is taking us too far afield, but I like comedy, so I'm gonna nerd out for a second. Uh, George Carlin talked about how, like, one key to a good joke is uh, exaggeration, mm. right? And that joke sets it up really well. When you think vacation from your kids, you think, like, drop them off at your parents' house for the weekend. Not the three seconds that you get where you can't hear them through the window, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's so true, though. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Luckily, I, luckily I, only, I only have to imagine. But There's just those few minutes when the screaming is muffled. <laughs> And you just stand outside the car. Oh. And you're like, maybe I could muffle it with a pillow. Just for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't fault my parents for smoking. I think I can totally understand. Like, all right, they're gonna, we're going to set them in there real quick. Just chain through a cigarette really quick, and then I'll get in and do the thing, right? But I get it. You know, when I, was, when I did smoke, one of the great things about it was the excuse just to leave a place for a little while. Maybe that was... That's why literally everybody I know who started smoking in my age group did. Yeah. Because we worked at restaurants or some something thereof where you don't get breaks unless you get five minutes an hour to go smoke. That would be great. You like for that reason. Pass the baby off to the other partner. Be like, I got to go smoke. It's yours now for the next 10 minutes. Uh, Eliezer does say, if you find yourself in a group of people who tell consistently unfunny jokes about the hated enemy, it may be a good time to head for the hills before you start to laugh as well. I, I was reminded immediately of John Oliver because I used to think John Oliver was very funny and... Over the past years, I think he's not funny. Am I alone in this? Like some, he's hilarious. He, he he's not always right, but yeah. he's hilarious. Okay, I've sometimes he's hilarious. Sometimes I hear his jokes and I'm like, "That's just Boo Out Group," and I agree with you, Boo Out Group. But it's not a funny joke. I think that, and I don't, I, don't, I haven't seen his stuff as regularly as regularly as as, as I've been watching SNL, yeah. um, but I've seen some of it lately, and. You know, often it's digs at himself, which, you know, is nice self-deprecating humor. But uh, I mean, to be fair, he does have a lot of really funny jokes. Yeah. And I think some of them are applicable. But what I like about, like, like Weekend Update does really good uh, political jokes. But they're very even-handed about it. You know, so they'll be like, here's a picture of Mitch McConnell. And it's like him smiling, like looking at a child drowning in a bathtub. (laughs) And, you know, it's like they'll they'll do that. But then they'll also, you know, and here's a picture of Joe Biden seen, I don't know, insert joke right but it's always like so inappropriate for the picture yeah. um but they, they're they're pretty even-handed in the jokes and so i think that that's you know you might laugh harder at the hated out group ones or something or there might be a different it is a different nature right they're not insinuating that biden would laugh at like a puppy drowning or something right mm-hmm. um but it's i don't know at least it's it's delivering blows on both sides and i, I can appreciate that um yeah i haven't seen enough john oliver to have a good take on what his stuff is really about um on his in his defense, I did watch one recently that was titled Rocks, and I thought it was gonna be about rocks. 
It was about some very specific rocks in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee or something, or Georgia. Georgia. That's the one. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, what What was so special about these rocks? They were commissioned. Uh, you want to, do you maybe remember it better than I do? Um, I, I saw it recently, too, because it, it came out recently. It is a giant stone monument that is, like, commissioned by a eugenicist. Okay. Oh, I didn't know it was that. I, I knew that it was something about, like, it contained in various languages like 10 instructions on how to survive like a post-apocalypse oh. and it was like an art installation well, but the, but, cool. but this nut job politician has made like a platform of hers to center around like the you know this is obviously the deep state alien jews who are you know and yes i'm gonna this is a this is like the 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 third main thing i can do as a politician is get rid of these rocks and um <laughs> so wow, like okay. it, it's digging at a particular political party and a political particular person but in his defense that person's ridiculous yeah and, and, and the, the jokes are funny so okay. uh yeah i think what his main po- point in this post was i'm assuming a reaction to something that happened to him because he says requiring someone to laugh in order to prove their non-cultishness uh like most kinds of obligatory laughter it doesn't quite work uh and he also says um we should be able to not laugh at predictable jokes without being accused of being humorless or unable to take a joke and I get the feeling that, like, someone made some kind of joke about him leading a cult or something, and he didn't laugh at it. And then they said, what's wrong? Don't you have a sense of humor or something? And uh, Sounds reasonable. Yeah, I think, I think that's seems fair like to that not kind laugh of guy. at things that isn't, aren't funny. Oh, it seems like the kind of guy that wouldn't laugh at that sort of joke? Oh, no. He seems like the kind of guy who would write a whole piece because somebody <laughs> told him he was unable to take a joke. Yeah. I... All I can think of is because we were just talking politicians is Jeb Bush, please clap, right? No, what's that? He was giving a, a talk, and he was done, and no one responded, so he said, please clap to the microphone. It was like a joke when he was running for president. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like, if you... So then, of course, the room applauds, but like, how do you even enjoy that applause when you had to ask them to do it? Mm-hmm. Imagine being a comic, and be like, that was the joke, and then they start laughing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, that's, that's... I wouldn't feel like that's real laughter, right? No. Yeah. I... <laughs> I'm looking through the comments and people are just telling jokes. And then I just came across so anonymous wrote the last statement is hilarious. This comment is no longer endorsed by the author. <laughs> it's crossed through. Okay. <laughs> and that was wait, 12 years ago. I think at least part of the problem is that humor is pretty darn subjective. Even, even when it's ideological, like I, I really dislike the, the sea lioning joke on an ideological basis because I think the sea lion is on the side of the Nazis and that's really problematic. But I think it's a fucking hilarious comic strip and I always laugh when I read it because it's, it's a really good joke. Commenter Robin Hanson has a good question in, in here. Ooh. Would jokes about or, or, would jokes where Dilbert's pointy-headed boss says idiotic things be less funny if the boss were replaced by a coworker? If so, does this suggest that bosses are hate, are hated enemies and Dilbert jokes bring false laughter? Well, I mean, bosses are definitely hated enemies, but I think it's funny because it feels like so many people's real experience with their bosses. Yeah, one of the comments says Dilbert isn't even really satire. It's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's funny. Um, I don't know. I think the the intersection of ideology and humor can be really rough, and some people might not find things funny for other reasons than it clashes with their ideology. Yeah, and I think if you find it funny only because it agrees with their ideology, like, those I never find funny. And it's right. a drag because it can be a joke from a comic I like. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, that's such an easy dig, mm-hmm. right? 
Like it's it's actually that is exactly the kind of exasperation he, he expresses in this post. Yeah. But it's like, you know, okay, great, another people who don't get vaccines jokes are dumb. Like right. or another people who don't get vaccines are dumb joke. Yeah, yeah. Um like unless you have an original spin on it, I don't it's not funny anymore, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um it so yeah, there needs to be some creativeness to it. Uh yeah, I I'm not sure if I still endorse this, but uh I used to say that well, I used to dislike satire until I actually like saw a good satire and was like, oh, that's what it's supposed to be. It just struck me as kind of, it's funny if you subvert, like, you know, you, let's say uh, Peter Griffin from Family Guy or whatever, like being sexist or whatever, but you subvert it in some way. But if you just have him saying sexist things and then you're supposed to laugh at it because it's satire, like if you're just repeating yeah. <laughs> the, 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 dumb shit that people say or do it's what was the good satire do you remember um i mean it may have actually been family guy (laughs) (laughs) which is why i think i went to the example of peter griffin but like i don't know um yeah mostly cartoons that cartoons gotten a lot better and yeah stuff on adult swim and whatnot yeah and then i think before that i was mostly seeing like comedians on tv kicking it back to i don't know half hour an hour ago pregnant women are smug is a satire right sure hope so yeah says a thing that a lot of people think but don't say out loud well i think that um one of the musicians behind pregnant women are smug really wanted to have a kid oh really yeah oh well that makes it kind of tragic yeah what do you mean wanted like and couldn't i think was oh. trying to well i mean if they were trying to and they were like preparing for like i've had pregnant friends they've all been like this entitled or whatever like and i'm prepared and i'm gonna be that in six months if that's where that joke was going i could see that being funny well, but and, and less like, tragic. I can't get pregnant. Oh, if that's the I'm case, really it was upset. bummer. There was a good joke by uh, I'll have to look up her name because she's really funny. Um, but she has a bit about how uh, her sister is a nurse, and like, yes, she's a healthcare hero, and no one will let you know that they're that they're heroes more than they do. And <laughs> like, so I mean, it's it's a night, it's a it, but it's not bad natured. Right, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. so like you can still tell that she cares, but she she's poking fun, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, see. actual legit good humor is really hard. It's one of the reasons successful comedians are so successful because most people can't do it. Yeah, my daughter's hilarious. <laughs> kids <I bet>. often <laughs> are completely unbiased opinion. No, kids are amazing. Kids like can be cool. uh, when they're not trying to be funny, especially especially when they don't know they're not supposed to say things. And they say things. What, like, daddy's my favorite? (laughs) (laughs) Although that was probably not that funny. Mm. Maybe a bit funny. All right, well, are we done with these? Do we have more things to say about humor and or cultishness? I'm 90% sure that the comedian I was thinking of was Rosebud Baker, but I can't find... Rosebud Baker, I was right. Cool. So I think her stuff's on, on YouTube, but she was also on That's My Time with David Letterman, which is, like, a thing with comedians that he's doing right now. It's really fun. They're like people who haven't had like full specials on whatever network or netflix yet but they're really funny mm-hmm. and i'm glad that people like that are getting uh to hang out with david letterman for 15 minutes and do stand-up in front of people so yeah. anyway all right that's my that's my time all right well not with david letterman because he hasn't called me yet so well for next time we will be reading the sequence posts effortless technique and zen and the art of rationality solid we are going to thank a patron as we always do and we are going to let katrina the returning host. Good luck with this one. <laughs> Soren Schreiber. Ooh, very nice. I think you nailed it. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much on behalf of this podcast. Thanks, Soren. You have allowed us to let people know about Katrina's pregnancy and pregnancy in general and how bad it is. Sometimes we're up here indulging ourselves. Sometimes we're up here, I think, doing our version of communicating something worth hearing. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of those. So um, I I appreciate the uh, the support and uh, helping make that happen. That's awesome. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will see you in two weeks. Mm -hmm.